In the video, I love the closing words. Uh, it says this, we are simply the tour guide. You're not supposed to remember our name. We're here to point you to the incredible, indescribable, everlasting, radiant glory of God. What a great introduction to the series that we're about to enter in here. Um, we are, uh, as we've mentioned, uh, most churches uh, start a year out kind of with a yearly theme. Uh, we start the year out with a new name. And uh, as I talked a couple weeks ago, it's kind of like putting a, a new pair of boots on. It just takes a while. It's going to take a while. And we've decided that we want to kind of break in our new church name um, and in such a way that it understands the process. It takes time. It just takes some time. Take some time to walk in and break it in. So I'll just, again, as we start the year, I'll let you know what's headed for this year. We have a few series all oriented around each word of our church name, Radiant. From January through May, we're going to be doing a series called Radiant God Grasping His Greatness. And we're going to start that today. It's about the attributes of God, who God is. And we'll get that rolling today. He is radiant. A Bible. We're going to then have a shorter series that will in from mid-May into the 1st of July that will be Radiant God Trusting His Word and just some greater understanding on why this is the thing, why this is our truth source that we have. And then after that, church, November through, I'm sorry, uh, July through November will then be Radiant God Extending His Goodness. Because of who he is, because of what he says, we are to be. And that's where we're going to be going this year. Lord willing, it's in December. Uh, this is kind of every four or five years, I just like to go back to Luke chapter one and two for Christmas and just walk it again. The story never gets old. So we're going to, uh, Lord willing, do that then for December of this year. But today we begin our first leg of our trek, Radiant God grasping his greatness, and I think it'd be really appropriate for us just to bow our head together and pray and ask the Lord to be among us in this series. So God, we do that now. And we thank you for who you are, and yet we realize in saying that that we struggle, struggle to grasp fully who you are. Lord, uh, over these coming weeks, these next 20 weeks, would you just reveal yourself increasingly so as to who you are? in such a way that we would be awed by you in increasing ways, and it would literally, the radiant glory of who you are would change us internally, that we would radiate it externally. God, we can't do this without you. This is not an endeavor in our own little puny minds to try and fill in some blanks of who you are. This is an endeavor to sit at your feet and come to understand increasingly so who you are. Much of the territory is not going to be new necessarily for a lot of people, but I pray it would be like it's the first time. We want to grasp a hold. Do a work. In your name we pray. Amen. Transparent moment. I made the mistake this morning of taking a severe head cold congestion tablet and uh, teachers, you know, it dries me up, so I'm going to be drinking here. That sounds bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. 
Tours begin kind of with a gathering time, and that's what's going on here. We're beginning a, we're beginning a trek together. And uh, times we've been on some trips, uh, it's like the tour guide gathers everyone, you kind of sit down for a little bit, does a little bit of lay of the land or whatever the tour guide is thinking important at this point in time. And there's some uh, three important things today that I want for us to all have a basic understanding on. There's some key information regarding the tour and uh, today is about doing that. So I'm kind of envisioning it like this. Our boots are laced up. We've got everything in gear where we kind of even see the terrain ahead, if you will, and we're ready to start heading out. And I want to provide three kind of assumption statements that are built out of the name of this series, the name of this tour, Radiant God Grasping His Greatness in this. And we're going to touch on these. I'm going to word them slightly different than we'll get here in just a second. But basically, here's where we're going today. There is a God. That God can be grasped because that God is the God of the Bible. And he is radiant and great. Okay, I want to get these kind of laid down for us, a little time together, maybe a different way of doing that than I normally would today, but we're going to go there. So let's begin at the beginning, assumption statement number one, uh, this tour, this tour guide and this trek, uh, we believe that there is a God. We believe that there is a God. It's interesting because uh, I'm 58, you could have said this maybe 20 years ago and just have the assumption, and rightfully so, that pretty much most everyone in the, in the uh, audience in the, that are hearing that, would most of them are going, yeah, I agree with you that there is a God. N- know this, friends, our culture has greatly changed and if we don't understand that and work towards that in communicating the gospel to a culture that you can't assume they understand there's a God. You can't assume that they believe that there is a God. In fact, I assume right now there are some here in the room today that are here either because they don't know why they're here or they're here because they were forced to be here and frankly, they're not even sure if there is a God or maybe you're at the place in life where you're kind of like, I'm not even sure with that. I just want to say, welcome. And know this, on this tour, we are working on this assumption there is a God, okay? That's, that's a big part of what goes on here. Um, and as you do ministry with your family, with your friends, with your coworkers, with your schoolmates, don't assume they believe that there is a God. So let's start at that point. Let's start at the point, what if someone doesn't believe the God? So why do you guys believe that there is a God? How do you know that there is a God? I'll just tell you, my natural response is that to that is to go, well, Ecclesiastes 3.11, it tells us that God has put eternity in the hearts of mankind. Romans chapter one talks about how, just look around, God has shown his invisible attributes all around. Just look around, look at creation, there has to be a God. Uh, But wait a second, I have just assumed that that person even understands or has a sense that this is truth. So I'm going to get here in just a moment because we are a Bible church and that name's in there because it's really big deal to us. But hold here just for a moment, Let's, let's think. How do you know there's a God? Well, first of all, straight on the table, No one can prove 100% that there is a God. Oh, by the way, no one can prove 100% that there is not a God either. Both of those are true. 
And in that, we start from that, so really what we do is, well, how then do we understand that there is an existence of God? What's the evidentiary uh, facts, uh, evidence that would show that? Well, if you were to ask Thomas Aquinas some years ago, he would say, well, I have five arguments to the existence of God, uh, the argument of motion, causation, contingency, degree, and final cause. I'm not going to go through all of them because today is not an apologetics class. But he would start from that and he would basically be saying, here, I have five arguments on why the evidence to me shows that there is a God. Let me just kind of add to that. There's other approaches in considering the evidence and building evidentiary understanding that there is a God. One of them is testimonial evidence. Like, for instance, how does a staunch evolutionary atheist who's a PhD biochemist, director of the National Institute of Health, explain the happenings of quantum mechanics at the atomic and subatomic levels and how chemistry evolved into biology. And Gart couldn't. And so he says this, I've reached the point where my certainty that there was nothing in the universe that could not be scientifically described was gone. A rational thinker is free to choose between two equally plausible and equally non-provable ideas. And he says this, I now choose God. Or, how can a, uh, a crazy accomplished physician I know, and asking him to tell his story, says, Doug, I got to the eyeball. And there has to be a God. An eyeball could not develop on its own, no way. And then here is a church we heard maybe two months ago now, the stories of Ed from our church and Francois from our church and Ali from our church. And their unique stories of coming to see that there is a God and that God is Jesus Christ. By the way, Ali, a Muslim, grown Muslim, uh, Ali just emailed me this week, and if you want to note this down, he's uh, got his testimony in a Kindle book format. It's called The Apostate, A Muslim's Path to Salvation. Kindle book, The Apostate, A Muslim's Path to Salvation, if you want to read that. Testimonial evidence. And then I just add in it the evidence of human history. There is this really interesting dynamic that is taking place, anthropology, anybody looking at it, history buffs would look at it and, and understand that whether you're a remote tribe somewhere, people somewhere, whether you're people in all kinds of places, there is just something that is historical going on that humans have this thing that there is something bigger and beyond themselves. It's just like it's innately there. Oh, now what they call that is, is what they name that is, uh, varies all over the place. But there is a historical thing. I mean, the Egyptian pyramids literally point to something bigger than themselves. The Greek mythology, right now I'm reading a book called uh, Alexander the Great. And in the 300 BC time period as he's conquering this world, crazy millennial. I mean, this dude was amazing, amazing guy. Conquering the world and Greek mythology, and just reading about it. His mother told him that Zeus was his father. And he actually, in some of his warring and finding, wanted to prove that fact. 
And then he's offering sacrifices to whatever God happens to be the convenient God in the territory with what's going on to win the people. It's just interesting. It's just, just something that is going on. I would call it Ecclesiastes 3.11. But on the whole of it, there is something in human history. And then add to this metaphysical evidence, logical evidence, empirical evidence, subjective evidence, philosophical evidence, cosmological evidence, ontological evidences. I just say this, consider the evidences. Can I absolutely prove that there is a God or a divine creator? No. But no one can prove that there's not either. And now I'm just gonna say personally here as the tour guide, I have come to the place over life to where it's like, listen, I have chased the shiny objects. I have attained some of the things that we say we attain for personal and utmost happiness. And I am telling you there is something more. There is something greater. Because every time you achieve something, you get to the point and you kind of go, now what? I'm reading Alexander the Great, and I'm like, dude, why don't you just stop? And he's like, no, gotta take India. Hey, there's more. There's more than the shiny objects. I believe there's a God. This church believes that there is a God. And this tour believes that there is a God. The question that comes out of that is this. Who then is that God? We believe that the God we were just talking about, that there is a God, that that God is the God of the Bible. We believe that God is the God of the Bible. By the way, that means that he can be grasped because he has given us truth about himself. Now let's talk about this. Upcoming, I mentioned in uh, May and up into July, we're gonna be talking about uh, radiant God, trusting his word and delving into some of these things. But I just kinda wanna uh, Let's talk about true sources for a moment because how do we know this is it? I'm gonna tell you as a tour guide uh, some of my perspectives on this. You do know that there's all kinds of truth sources and people over history that have claimed to, to know and tell and write what life is about and who God is. You do know that. In fact, I have some of them with me here. We have the Quran, uh, uh, Islam. We have uh, I call it the Buddha Bible. We'd gotten this when we were in Tokyo years ago out of the hotel. <laughs> Full confession. That's what it's there for, right? Was I not supposed to say that? Uh, you've got the Book of Mormon. You've got the New World Translation of the Holy Scriptures, which is the uh, Bible translation for Jehovah's Witnesses. You've got Judaism. The Tanakh, which is the Old Testament, and along with it, the Talmud. Then you have Buddhism, then you have Confucianism, you have Hinduism, Baha'i, Taoism, Gnosticism, New Age. You have atheism, you have agnosticism, you have ancient aliens. Have you watched that TV show? I have. Hey, it's a belief system. I'm just telling you, it's a belief system. And then you have Greek mythology, as I mentioned, and then you have the always lead to God. Well, let me take a couple minutes on that here because that does make, not make any sense and let me tell you why. 
Number one, the Bible is written by 40 human authors, we'd understand in the scriptures, inspired through the work of the Spirit of God, 40 human authors over 1,500 years. When, I'll make mention here in just a little bit. When I was in high school and early college, when I learned that and the difference on this with all of the other true sources, it's a dramatic difference between the Bible. Do you realize that all the other true sources have one originating person written in a lifetime? I'm just going to tell you one of the big evidences for me personally was the fact of, do I want to trust one person or I'm more in favor of 40 over 1,500 years? Let's talk about each of these here for a moment just to understand why we believe that the Bible, part of why we believe the Bible is so much superior and why that is the God of the Bible that we are chasing after, the Quran. Uh, Muhammad, uh, in 1610 uh, AD, Muhammad got his first uh, revelation, uh, oral revelation from an angel. It was over a period of 23 years then that he had uh, ongoing revelations, as he tells. Uh, Note this, uh, Jesus is a prophet in Muslim, Islam theology. Um, Jesus did not die on the cross. Jesus did not rise from the dead. Dramatically different. Dramatically different. We have uh, the Book of Mormon. Uh, The Book of Mormon, Joseph Smith in the 1820s lived in New York, and uh, in New York he says that he had an angel informed him of of ancient burial plates that were buried in New York. They were Egyptian hieroglyphic type of writing in New York that he uh, found and uh, had glasses to be able to read them with over that. By the way, the Mormons uh, uh, do not believe that Jesus is what the Bible says. The Mormons actually believe that Jesus earned the right to become the Savior. I'm just gonna say, run that one through your theological categories. Jesus earned the right, he was a created being who earned the right to be able to be the Savior with it. Jehovah's Witness, his New World Translation, late 1800s, Charles Russell, uh, he denied the Trinity, denied that Jesus was God uh, of deity. And uh, really what we have with the Jehovah's Witnesses Bible is you have the Old Testament, New Testament, but from a translation perspective. And let me just say, that's a problem. When you come at it and translate it, don't you just want to know what it says as opposed to what you want it to say? Let me read for you John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word, John 1 tells us a little bit later, is Jesus Christ, and the Word was a small g God. Friends, that's very different than what the Scriptures say. And uh, we could work our way through on those but uh, why do we believe that this is what tells us who God is? Well, those are some of the evidentiary things for me that I learned. I mentioned about back in high school, some personal influences at the time for me. I grew up in a Christian home, going to church. I received Jesus Christ as my Savior when I was seven years old. And then as you get a little bit older, don't you know, 
late high school into college for me at that time, so I'm in my 20, 21 period of life, and you start wondering, is what I believe, do I believe it just because of what I grew up in the house on? I began wondering about that, so I began doing some thinking about it. Uh, two books, uh, Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell and More Than a Carpenter, helped me understand some of the evidentiary thinking about the reality of our Bible and about the reality of Jesus Christ. Josh McDowell was actually a, an attorney who purposed to start out to try and disprove that Jesus was who the Bible says that he is. What happened after all of his research, and it's crazy amount of research, he's got another volume too, I didn't bring in this morning, but in the research he ended up coming to Christ because he couldn't disprove it evidentiary-wise. began to come to understand even things like the biblical manuscripts over history. There is no ancient writing that has the reliability, the number of manuscripts, and the, the, the accuracy of the manuscripts of the Bible. Stack it up historically to Homer's Iliad. It's not even close. God has preserved his word. Then even Stoner's work, I remember reading that twice now, I think it's been, or maybe three times over the years of this church, I've referenced Stoner's work. Bless his heart on that last name, I bet he got picked on in high school. The statistical probabilities of a person fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah. Stoner talked about how if you were to take eight of the Old Testament prophecies, and, and, and what are the odds? He was a mathematician, uh, professor that began doing the work, come to find out it's one in 10 to the 17th. That's, he relates it, take the state of Texas, fill it two feet deep in quarters, mark one quarter, throw it in, blindfold someone, they can pick any quarter they want, two feet deep in the entire state of Texas, and on the first try, they pick the one that's marked. What are the odds of that? The odds of that are someone uh, fulfilling eight of the Old Testament prophecies. He then took it beyond that, and he went to fulfilling 48 of the Old Testament prophecies. That comes out to one to 10 to the 157th power. That's equivalent to put someone in a, uh, take an, one electron in the known universe, mark it, throw it out, put someone in a rocket, let them go anywhere they want in the known universe, reach out, however they do that, reach out of the rocket on whichever electron they pick, pick one electron, that's the odds of one human fulfilling 48 of the Old Testament prophecies. Oh, and by the way, there are almost three times more prophecies than that. And I'm just going to tell you, as time went on for me, and as I began, as a, as a boy, as a young man, began looking into these things, I came, and we came, to the conclusion, there is a God, and that God is the God of the Bible, and that's where we go. In fact, let's go there. If you would, open your Bibles to Psalm 139, Psalm 139. I'm just going to give you a few other verses here as you're going there. There is a God, Genesis 1, first words of the Bible. In the beginning, God. Elohim, plural form, by the way. In the beginning, God. And then in Genesis 1, it also says that humanity was created in God's image. There was a uniqueness about humanity unlike anything else, unlike the planets, unlike the animals, unlike the trees, unlike the rivers, unlike the mountains. There is something unique about mankind, and we see that every day. Genesis 2, the Lord walked in the garden 
among. The Lord interacted with Adam and Eve. I believe that happened. Then Ecclesiastes 3.11, God has put within the heart of mankind a yearning for him. Romans 1, 19 through 20. Look around. Look around, friends. There is a God. There has to be. There has to be something. That's why Gart even, he said, I couldn't explain how chemistry morphed into biology. There is a God, even if you're an evolutionist. He, draw, he invites us to draw near and grasp him. Hebrews, or I'm sorry, Matthew 11:28. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. By the way, I want for you to understand, if you've never had the opportunity to, to study or read or uh, go through some of the Quran, God is not uh, given the, you do not walk away from an image of God as though he is inviting. He is hard. There is no grace. It's earned. You come to the scriptures and Jesus says, come. Come on around me. I want you with me. I want you around me. Hebrews 10, 22 says, let us draw near with a true heart. James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. God desires this abiding relationship. Psalm 27, 4, one thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Not far off in the fields, not just be able to gaze upon it, but in the house and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. In Psalm 145, 18, the Lord is near to all who call on him, who call on his name in truth. Man, that's a, that's a God of scripture. And then we come to Psalm 139. Let me read verses one through 18. O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. That's scary. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take on the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. And your right hand, the hand of authority, shall hold me. Hey, if you know Christ is your Savior and you've doubted your salvation, you need to grab a hold of that verse. If I say, verse 11, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light above about me but be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. And maybe you're saying, man, I wish you could have knitted me a little bit better. <laughs> I still praise you. <laughs> Verse 14, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. 
My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance and your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. Question, does that include 2020? He already knows what's coming up. How precious to me are your thoughts, O oh God. How vast is the sum of them. We believe that there is a God. We believe that God is the God of the Bible. And lastly, we believe that our God is radiant and great. Radiant and great. And that's where we're going with this series. By the way, these two words, these are just kind of select words out. They're not fully the sole words by any means. But these are two that pull it together. Radiant, glorious, and he's great, magnificent. He is radiant and great. Since we're in the Psalms, turn a couple pages over to the left. Go to a, a Psalm 95, please. Psalm 95. The Lord is great. Beginning of verse one. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Verse two, let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all small g gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Our God is great. Turn to the left, Psalm 76. Psalm 76, verse four, he is radiant. Reading from the English Standard Version, which is what I have, it begins, glorious are you. If you have a newer international version, the newer, newer international version says this, you are radiant with light. That's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. Radiant, why? Because he is radiant with light, more majestic than the mountains full of prey. I love the mountains. I would rather be in the mountains than on the beach. Maybe you'd be, be on the beach, go after it. Give me the mountains. They're majestic, they're amazing. They make me feel small, and I love it. And he is more majestic than that, he is radiant. So here we go, Radiant Bible Church. Here we go. This is kind of where we're headed. We have 19 Sundays remaining. If I can say it this way, boots are on, Bibles are in our hands, three assumptions have been stated. We believe that there is a God. We believe that that God is the God of the Bible. And we believe that that God is radiant and great. And now it's time to get after grasping our God.
One last verse. Listen as I read. Psalm 34, 5. Those who look to him are radiant. And their faces shall never be ashamed. Pastor Nick made mention a few Sundays ago about how when Moses comes down from the mountain from being the 40 days with God and then he comes down and it's like, he's glowing. How cool is that? We're not saying that we're gonna step into peer closer to God and behold him more and we're all gonna be walking around like LED lights. That's not the point. But there should be a reality of that, that as we behold the radiant God, increasingly so, more and more, that begins to change who we are and that radiates out of us. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. Spurgeon said this, there is something exceedingly improving to the mind in the contemplation of the divinity. It is a subject so vast that all our thoughts are lost in its immensity, so deep that our pride is drowned in its infinity. When we behold God more, our pride gets drowned more. Arthur Pink says this, the incomprehensibility of the divine nature should teach us humility, caution, and reverence. I'm really wanting for us, this is not about going through the next 19 weeks on the attributes of God and being able to fill in some blank about some answer to who God is. That's not the point of it at all. The point of it is to, for us to behold who God is in an increasing way, knowing even that out of that, that we can grasp a hold of him, and out of that, it should change who we are. Our pride should be drowned because of his greatness. We should be increasingly humble because of his greatness. We should have increased caution about life because of our own heart and what we want to do, and yet there is a God, and how does that fit into all this? and even reverence. We need more reverence in our world. Have you noticed that? Like, where's the respect anymore? And let's correlate that to God. When we see God little, we live little for him. But as we see him big, we live bigger for him. Why is that? Last thing, because of A.W. Tozer's comment here, I love this. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What, we th- what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. We want to increase how we think about God over these coming months. Think about this. If there is a God, there is no other subject, no other object that should be more drawing than that. If there is a God, then our career development our bank account, our goals fulfilled in life, 
What if there is a God? Would you not think that would be the highest pursuit of life? So Lord, we come to you and we ask for your help because we are small. We are sheep. We are in need. We may have some here in the room this morning who are literally at a place of life where they're like, I just don't even know if there is a God or I'm not even sure even after believing it for years that there is a God now. Oh God, I pray that they would draw near to you and pursue after and that you and your grace and your kindness and your greatness would reveal yourself to them and give them an assurance who you are. God, I pray for us as a church family that we would, through this coming series, that we would grow in our understanding of who you are in our awe of who you are. And we need help We can't do this through our own mental, cognitive exercises. Lord, we need the work of the Spirit and the Word of God to help us see you. So we ask for that. Lord, as we step into this new year, as we step into this new decade, what a perfect time for us to consider in depth who you are. I'm just gonna ask you if you'd keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. Let's just take a minute or two of just silent time with the Lord. Maybe as you close out the year, there are just some things that you need to take a few minutes with the Lord here starting the year. Maybe there's some fears or some struggles going on in you. Would you just take this next couple minutes here and just lay him before the Lord? Why don't you do that now? Maybe there's some weights or some baggage that you're carrying that you need to confess before the Lord or lay before him. Do that now. What are some things right now that you can praise the Lord for and give him your adoration, you can thank him for? Let's do that now.
So Lord, our boots are laced up. Bible's in our hands. Directed toward you. Here we come. We want to draw near to you. And you and your word have told us that as we draw near to you, you draw near to us. So Lord, come. Renew us. Revive us. Put within us an increasing knowledge and an increasing spirit of love and adoration and awe for who you are. God, the fact of the matter is, is we, we don't even have a minute view of the greatness of who you are, but God, I pray for more than what we have now. All eternity, for those who know Christ as our Savior, will be a time of just reveling in who you are. So this is the on-ramp. Higher altitude, more of you. Do a work in us, I pray, for your name and for your glory alone. In Christ's name I pray, amen.